to other sources, we know uh, all about God through Jesus. Uh, we looked at what it meant to behold Jesus as that revelation of God's glory and, and, and uh, how we should live our lives in light of that. Um, and then last week, uh, Matt kind of almost brought our series to a close uh, with the idea that man was created uh, with the purpose of beholding God's glory. Uh, everything else in the Christian life is secondary. Okay, prayer, reading your Bible, coming to church, getting involved in, uh, in connection groups, all that stuff is great, but all that stuff is centered around beholding God's glory and bringing glory to Him uh, to those around you. That is the purpose that we're on this earth for. That's why we do all this. That's why we're here this morning, to bring glory to God. Uh, that is central, and that's essential, and that's everything in the Christian life, to bring God glory. And uh, as we went through this series, there was a lot of um, truth spoken. Uh, I enjoyed Matt's sermons a lot. Um, we learned a lot about God's glory. We learned a lot about His nature and His character, that He would choose to reveal His glory, uh, reveal Himself to us. And the way that He did that was by sending His Son to die for us. And God could have chosen any way to reveal Himself to us, and He chose sending His Son in love. And that says a lot about the character of God. That says a lot about how God wants to approach mankind. He would reach out when we were stumbling around in the dark and uh, show us His love through His Son. So this morning, uh, I'm going to ask the question, so what? We've learned a lot. Um, we've Hopefully, you know, if, if you've been all the, the messages, you've learned a lot about God's glory, um, about God's character. But so what? If you go away with a little more head knowledge about God, then, then we've failed. Uh, if you go away just knowing a little bit more about, about the narrative of God's glory through the Bible, uh, through the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, then we've failed. It's our greatest fear that you would go away from, from this truth, from this message, with your life unchanged. We're not here to learn about God academically. We're here to change lives through the message of God's Word. So it's our hope and our prayer this morning that uh, through the little bit uh, of the series that we have left, the last message here, um, and, and, and through the previous messages, that you would let those truths affect your life. What you believe affects how you live. If there's a failing in your life, if there's an area of sin, if there's an area that you need to work on, probably that can be traced back to something that you're not understanding about God. Something that you're not understanding about His character. Something that you're not understanding about His Word, about what Jesus taught. So it's our hope and our prayer that as, uh, as our minds start to think rightly about the things of God, that our lives would be changed. 1 Peter 1.13, the very first word there is, therefore. And it's kind of cheesy, but we always ask the question, if you have the word therefore, what's it there for, right? What's it there for? In the first 12 verses, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter 1, Peter is praising God for the gospel. And if you don't know the gospel this morning, uh, it's simply that God is holy, that God created us, and that we didn't live up to that standard of holiness. God has a standard of holiness, of perfection, and none of us lived up to it. We have a sin nature inside of us. So mankind has fallen, but, but God didn't let the story in there. God sent His Son also God, also fully God. God the Father sent God the Son to die in our place for our sins. God literally crushed His own Son so that He wouldn't have to punish 
us, those who believe in him. And not only that, but Jesus rose again to prove his power over death, to prove his power over sin. That is the good news this morning. If you believe in Jesus, you are saved. You are not going to face God's wrath. You are not going to face God's judgment. You are not going to face that full punishment of a holy God because Jesus has already taken that. And Jesus has already lived a righteous life and God will look at us as if we have lived that righteous life even though we don't deserve that. That is the gospel this morning. Praise God for that gospel in our hearts. Praise God for that gospel. You should see God as, as fully glorious because of this, because of what he's done. So the first 12 verses of the book, Peter is praising God for this gospel. And I'll just read one verse, 1 Peter 1, 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That sums up what Peter is getting at in, in the first 12 verses of his letter here. Praise God for his salvation. Therefore, let's read the passage. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As we go into the message, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for not leaving us to search around in the dark, but instead revealing yourself to us. And I just pray that your truth and your word would affect each person here. That you would present each person with that choice. What are they going to do with your holiness? What are they going to do with your glory? And I just pray that no heart would leave here without being intersected by you and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your sermon outlined there in your bulletin, uh, point number one, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Verse 13 says, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. And, and, and if you look at that word preparing, it's a participle. It's building up to something, which we'll get to in our next point. So this is kind of a secondary command in what uh, Peter's talking about. How we respond to the gospel. How we respond to God revealing himself. This is a secondary command. Preparing. Preparing. Now, anybody in here using the uh, King James Version? No one wants to admit it. Um, preparing uh, your minds for action. Uh, if you have the King James, it'll say, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. And I love that, I love that passage. I want to get a t-shirt that says that or a tattoo or something. Gird up the loins of your mind. And, and, the, idea there, and the idea there is, if you guys you know, grew up in Sunday school and you remember the, the flannel graph that had the, uh, the little characters on it that the teachers would use to tell nobody, anybody? Yeah, we got a few. Uh, uh, and you remember all those robes that they would wear, right? And they'd have those, those big old robes in the desert and going around. Now, if they wanted to run, they couldn't run, run in the robes. So they'd have to, to kind of hike them up and tuck them into their belt. Okay, when, when I was in junior high, when I was in middle school, the cool thing was to have baggy pants. Okay, you know, so we'd wear like size 48, you know, big old, big old pants coming all the way down over our shoes. And I remember our cousin uh, was, was like the, the king of baggy pants. You know, like we all wanted baggy, baggy pants, but our parents were like, 
No, you know, you can only have slightly baggy pants. And our, but our cousin, he had the baggiest pants of them all, so he was, you know, he was really cool. Uh, but I remember one time we went bowling with our cousin, and, and you, had, you, know, you have to run up and, and, uh, and bowl. And I remember he had to, he had to you know, pull this, you know, these 10 pounds of pants up and, and hold them like this as he ran up to bowl. So he could just, just so he could, just so he could throw, throw the ball down the lane. He had to actually prepare himself in order to, to do so. He had to get all of that out of the way. And that's the idea here in this passage. Get everything out of the way. Prepare your minds for action. There are so many distractions that are, that are there to trip us up. There are so many distractions in our lives that just start to numb our minds to the truth of God's word. You turn on the television. You turn on the radio on the way to work. And already your minds are off the things of God and they're on the things of the world. Just, you know, n- not even necessarily sinful stuff. Uh, just, just, you know, stuff that's just inane and just starts numbing your mind to the gospel. And all of a sudden you're not thinking about the things of God anymore. Prepare your minds for action. Clear out those distractions and focus on God. How well do you think we would have done in World War II if we had taken all the troops that, that either got drafted or signed up and we, you know, we just picked them up immediately and just went and dropped them on the, on the beaches of Normandy. You know, here, you know, here's some guns. We pass them out as they run off the boats. You know, these guys don't even know how, never, never fired a gun before. Don't know how to clean a gun. Don't know how to shoot. Don't know how to take cover. Don't know how to take orders. Don't know how to fight. We probably wouldn't have done very well. In the same way, in the Christian life, a lot of times we get into a situation where we're supposed to take action and we don't know what to do. And then we'll look back on that in hindsight, and we'll say, oh, you know, I just screwed up. I, I, I acted wrongly. I, I did the wrong thing. You know, I, I, I'll just do better next time. Instead of saying, no, I failed way before that because I didn't prepare for that moment because I didn't start clearing my minds of the things of the world and focusing on the things of God. Preparation is essential. Your sin, your sin nature inside of you is trying to kill you every single day. It's trying to kill your soul. Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that's a serious warning. Do not live according to the flesh. Too often, I think, because of the way that we fight wars in this country, we, we, have, we send soldiers off. We have a lot of military here. We've sent uh, some of our own out. And, and, they're off, and they're off fighting. And then we're here, you know, playing Xbox and, uh, you know, driving around, playing Frisbee golf. Uh, you know, whatever it is. They're off fighting the war and, and we make no sacrifice. Some of the people in here do. I don't want to downplay that um, because we send our, you know, some of us send our spouses off, some of us in our own congregation. But I think for a lot of us, it's just not real that we're fighting a war, that we're off fighting a war a lot of the time. That's not the idea here. When you're fighting against your own sin, it's, it's a knife fight in a phone booth. Somebody is going to die. That is how your sin is fighting against you. Your sin is constantly looking for ways to destroy you. Are you constantly preparing against it? Are you preparing for action? So first, the secondary command, prepare your minds for action. Underneath that he says, being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. And that means to think clearly to think rightly, to think wisely about the situations that you're encountering. Think rightly. Clear your mind of things of this world that 
that will numb you to the things of God. I was thinking this week about how many times I pull out my smartphone, you know, and I go to uh, whatever websites. I look at funny pictures of cats. You know, I go on Facebook or, or, or whatever. And I was just thinking to myself, man, if every time I hit that little blue F, you know, the little, the little Facebook icon, uh, what if every time instead of doing that, I were to touch the, the one right next to it, the ESV Bible, it's right before it, you know, ESV and then Facebook. If I were to, to touch the Bible icon instead, how, how would my day be different? How clearly would I be thinking about my life? How clearly would I be able to think when tough circumstances come up, when struggles come up? I think I would, I would be able to be a lot more sober-minded than I am. And I think that's true of all of us in here today. If we were to focus our minds on the things of God instead of the things of the world, we would live much better lives. You have to have a balanced, correct view of the world if you hope to act rightly. And this is the theme that we're going to keep coming back to. What you believe affects how you live. If you think correctly about the gospel and about the holy God that we serve, that, that can do nothing but change your life. That can do nothing but affect how you live. And if it doesn't, then I don't think you have a clear enough view of God's holiness. I don't think you understand that he's a living, real, active God who is holy and is there for us to communicate with. So number one, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds to serve God, to serve Christ. Point number two in your uh, outline there. Set your heart on Christ. Set your heart on Christ. Those two other things, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, those are secondary commands. They're things that we do alongside this. They're things that we do to kind of buttress and help us do this other thing. This is the main command that, that Peter has written here in this sentence. This is the main command. Set your heart on Christ. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. I don't care if we disagree on the way that, uh, that we worship, on the color of our pews, on the songs that we sing. I don't care what we disagree on as long as we are calling people to set their hearts on Christ. To set their hearts on Christ. This is the primary pursuit of the Christian. It's our hope and our prayer that that would become your all-consuming desire to set your heart on Christ. To do the things that Christ wants you to do. To meditate on Him and His character and His action and His finished work on the cross. That is everything because it gives Him glory. Because it gives Him glory and it calls others to give Him glory. So let's break it down. What are you placing? You're placing your hope. Your hope. And we've kind of diluted this word in the English language. We have the word hope and it kind of means, you know, I hope the new Iron Man movie is good. Um, you know, I hope that Baskin Robbins has my favorite flavor and it's not out when I go there. Um, it's kind of this like, you know, this little kid just hoping, oh, I really hope that I get good stuff on Christmas morning. It's not this wishy-washy hope. It's not a vacuous hope. It is a certainty, a total trust, a total faith. It means you literally take your life, you live everything that you do on that foundation, on top of that foundation. We are setting our hope. We are setting our hope it is the totality of our faith in Jesus Christ and the assuredness that he will return. What is our hope being set on? Your hope is being set on grace. Your hope is being set on grace. And it's interesting here in this passage, 
that he says, fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Well, we already have grace, right? I mean, Jesus already died, and God showed us his grace in that way. We already have that grace. And yet, what does he tell us to put our hope on? Not, not on that past grace necessarily, but as part of that, on the future grace, on the grace that is coming. We already have grace, but not yet. It, it, it's here, but it's not. We have uh, full justification, full grace on the cross, and yet we have not experienced the full fruits of that grace yet. That is still coming. And, and if you think about the abundant life that I hope you are living in Christ, and all the joy that you have enjoying Him, and, and serving one another in the church, and then you think, all of that abundant life, and yet He doesn't even tell me to put my hope on that. He tells me to put my hope on something that is coming. How much greater is that grace that is coming? that we can put our hope on that one day when Christ returns, one day when we die and we are glorified fully with God and we can truly see God's glory. And I think that's why he's talking about the future grace. Because at that time we will be able to see God's glory without any of the distractions, without any of the stuff that trips us up. We will be able to see God fully in his glory as we are a full and perfect reflection of God's glory as we were talking about a few weeks ago. Right now, we are being transformed into a more and more glorious, a more and more perfect image of God, but we're not there yet. We've been fully saved. You're fully righteous in God's eyes, and yet you're not fully righteous yet. You are already, but not yet, saved. You already, but not yet, have that grace, and someday we're going to have the full fulfillment of that grace. Hope in that. Put your hope in that. No matter what happens at work, at school, whatever you're doing throughout the week, just remember that despite those struggles, you have that grace coming. Set your hope on that. Live your life in light of that. If you knew that Jesus was coming back before the sun went down tonight, how would that change what you do today? We need to ask ourselves that question every single morning. Set your mind on the future grace. Everything that you've experienced, all the joy in your life so far, everything God has done is just nothing compared with the grace that is coming Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's not even worth comparing. If you were to take a spreadsheet and put your sufferings, everything you're going through, and right here, and then, and then the other side of the spreadsheet is everything that's coming, it wouldn't even be worth making the spreadsheet. It wouldn't be worth the time to compare the pros and cons list. Because, because the future grace just blows it out of the water. The future glory just blows it out of the water. Everything you're going through is just worth nothing compared with the grace that's coming. And it is a sure thing. It is a sure grace that is coming. Romans 8, 29. And pay attention to the progression here. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. If you're justified in here this morning, you have a sure hope that you will be glorified. Those who are justified will be glorified. It's a complete work of the Father. And He would not abandon you. He will not abandon that work. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Put your hope in that. And I'm not talking about a nebulous hope. Uh, about something that you just think about once in a while when you come to church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about every choice you make in your life lived in light of that, that grace that is coming. 
Point number two, set your heart on Christ. Set your heart on Christ. Number three, train your soul for obedience. Train your soul for obedience. If you look at the beginning of verse 14. As obedient children. I'm going to stop there. As obedient children. What Peter's doing here is he's assuming that you've already received that grace. He's talking to Christians here. As obedient children. And he appeals to your identity as a child of God in order to spur you on to obedience. You already are a child of God. Dogs bark. Okay, that's what they do. They're dogs. My cat, when I stick my foot under the bed, because I'm, I'm about to climb up on the bed, my cat latches itself onto my foot with its claws. It, it, it attacks me every time, every night. Because that's what cats do. That's their instinct. That's who they are. You are a child of God. Children of God obey. That's what they do. You have a new nature inside of you. You are being transformed into a new creation. And new creations obey God. It's not a question of salvation. It's not a question of, oh, I need to obey and, and, and check off all these little, little tick boxes um, in, in order to make it into heaven. Okay? You already have that grace. You've already been given that as a free gift. But as part of that, it's a whole package. You have been made into a new person and you will now obey. Your behavior stems from who you are as a child of God. John 8, 42-44, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? How many times do you say that to, to non-believing friends, non-believing relatives? Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Children of this world, children of wrath, people who do not believe, cannot understand the things of God. That's what they do. That's their nature. They need God to come impact their life and make them into a new person. No amount of arguing can fix that. No amount of self-help can fix that. No, no amount of watching Dr. Phil episodes can fix that. It's not about behavior modification. It's becoming a new person in Christ. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. But us, we are children of God. And children of God obey. They obey their king. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What we're going to see over and over in this passage, and we've got a few minutes left, as we finish up here, um, what you believe affects how you live. The passions of your former ignorance. It's interesting that it says that they were ignorant. Before you knew about the gospel, before you knew about God, before you followed Christ, you did not know. You did not know those things, so what happened? You lived your life against God. You disobeyed. You followed whatever passions you had, whatever animal instincts you had, because you did not have that spirit of God inside of you, because you were not a child of God. And it stemmed from not knowing about God. That's why it's so important that we tell the gospel 
to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family, because they do not know, so they cannot live in obedience. They are ignorant of the things of God. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's not about just modifying your behavior. It's about changing everything about the way you think. Because all of a sudden, living life just for tomorrow, just for 10 years from now, just for 30 years from now, living your life uh, in hopes of saving for retirement, all of a sudden that doesn't make any sense anymore when you're going to be living for eternity. Once that changes around in your mind, and you turn around and you see the light of God's gospel, of God's glory, everything changes. The value you place on your actions, the value you place on the things that you do, should be completely different. You have an entirely new value system as an obedient child of God. Be transformed, not by changing your, your, your actions, not by changing your behavior, but by the renewal of your mind. If you're focused on the passions of the flesh and ignorance, you're becoming more and more numb daily to the glories of God that are out there. We talked about uh, people who do not know God and they climb up in these mountains and, and the Mission Trails Regional Park here or all the other glorious things we have in this area. And, and, and they look out over the ocean or they look out over the hills here and they say, oh, this is incredible. And then they turn and do what with it? They worship creation. They just think that's pretty cool and put it out of their mind. For us, we see the glory of God here. We see it in the gospel. We see it in our changed lives. And we should live differently because of that. We should live for God's values and not our own. So number three, train your soul for obedience. That is who you are. Our final point on our sermon. Number four, live your life in reflection. Live your life in reflection. Going back to the text, verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's desire, God's mission is to show the world his holiness. To show the world his goodness. To show the world his love and his character. Are you on board with that mission this morning? I hope all of us are. If you truly believe in your mind that God is glorious, you will desire to be a reflection of that character, to be a reflection of that holiness in your life, in the way that you uh, conduct yourself at work, in the way that you conduct yourself at school or at home. If you believe that God is holy, you will desire that holiness. Once again, what you believe affects how you live. If you believe that God is holy, you will want to be a reflection of that holiness to the world so that other people can undergo that same process as they see the holiness of God. Now they want to become a reflection. And then they might light a fire in their neighbors to see the glory of God, to see God's holiness, to be holy as God is holy. If you have a wrong view of God's holiness, you will not be able to accurately reflect it. If you have a wrong view of God, and all of us do have, have flawed views of God, um, so we need to continue to renew our minds. But if you have a, a flawed view of God, you will not be able to fully reflect that glory. 
we are transformed into a more and more perfect image of his glory as we behold his glory more and more. It says, in all your conduct, in all your conduct, not Sundays from 1030 until noon, in everything that you do. I remember when I was in middle school, um, or high school, I guess, uh, the internet was kind of starting to be a thing. And, uh, and people didn't really, like, there was like this weird disconnect between how they lived their lives in the world and how they, what they did on the internet. Uh, I remember in our high school group, there were some people who were putting up, you know, inappropriate pictures or whatever on, on I think it was MySpace. I think MySpace still around, I don't know, but, um, you know, back then, MySpace was a cool thing. And I remember people were putting up, you know, pictures, and, or they were saying, they were saying, uh, you know, whatever things to each other, gossiping on, on, uh, on there. And, uh, and our high school pastor at the time started his, his message by saying, oh, I went on your guys' MySpaces this week. And I was just dead silent, you know, like. And, and there was this weird disconnect where when, when you talk to people uh, about what they did online, it was like, oh, yeah, but that's just, that's MySpace. That, that's online. That's not me. I mean, it's just a computer. I, you know, and, and as we start to understand the technology, we were, you know, it, now it's clear that that's just an extension of who you are. That's just an extension of, of what you do uh, in the same way that you speak to your friends, in the same way uh, that you live your life at work. You cannot segment those things. It's all your conduct, all your conduct, whether it's online, uh, whether it's in person, um, whether it's in writing, everything that you do, all your conduct. As we close here, um, this this is, I just want to be clear, this is not repaying a debt to Jesus. This is not like Jesus did all this stuff to us and we're like, well, now I'm just indebted to him and I'm just going to continue, you know, repaying that debt. It was a free gift of grace to you. It was a free gift of grace. But as part of that package, you've been transformed into a new person. And now you get to live your life joyfully obeying God in all things. Luke 7, 41 and 42, Jesus says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One, o- one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Think of all the things that God has forgiven you for. That should inspire you to live for him because you love him more. Not as repayment of that debt. You could never repay that debt but because you love him as a new creation. Living this holy life will not save you. If you don't have the gospel, if you have not been transformed by that gospel, if you don't believe, if you don't have your faith on Jesus this morning, being obedient will not save you. But if you are saved, you will obey. That's what saved people do. They are a new creation, and they live holy lives. What you believe affects how you live. If you believe that the Bible is the word of God, as all the church members here, we've signed a thing saying that, you know, the Bible is the word of God, that we agree with the doctrine of the church. If you believe that the Bible is the word of God, read it. Read it. If you believe that the living God resides within you, communicate with him. If you believe that there's no greater joy than God himself, then pursue him in everything that you do. If you believe that he's worthy of glory, then glorify him and get your friends to glorify him. Point everybody to Jesus. I hope 
that we will be able to live those holy lives this week. I'm going to just finish by reading a, a small segment out of Pilgrim's Progress, a book that uh, the Puritan John Bunyan wrote. And it's an allegory where there's a, there's a uh, pilgrim, and he's, uh, he's going through the Christian life, basically, um, in an allegorical way. And this character, Hope, um, has seen the gospel, and, and the main character asks him, um, how did that change how you think? How did that change how you live when you saw that, what God did for you? And Hope responds, the gospel made me see that all the world, notwithstanding all the righteousness thereof, is in a state of condemnation. It made me see that God the Father, though he be just, can justly justify the coming sinner. It made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life and confounded me with the sense of my own ignorance, for there never came thought into my heart before now that showed me so the beauty of Jesus Christ. It made me love a holy life and long to do something for the honor and glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. I thought that had I now a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I could spill it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. God has reached out to you to show you His glory. How will you respond this morning and this week as you live your life? As the worship team comes up, let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your gospel. And despite us not being worthy, you have decided to show us your character. You have decided to show us your nature. And I pray that despite our limitations as humans, despite our sin natures, you would help us to respond. You would help us to take action. You would help us to set our hearts on your Son and his coming. I just pray that each one of us would be able to see a little more of your holiness and live, live out a little more of that holiness in our lives this week. In Jesus' name.